Hey, good morning, City Church. I'm Neil. I'm the pastor here at this church. If you're a first-time guest, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, my wife and I are down in Georgia picking up our soldier, and I have one of my best friends, Ben Hare, speaking today. And I just wanted to give you just a, a little bit about Ben. So when God put on our hearts to start the City Church seven years ago, uh, I reached out to Ben, and Ben has just been the driving force of this church from day one. He was the one to encourage us, to pray over us, to meet with us, to do strategic planning for the church, to constantly just push up and say, you know what, you guys got this, this is what God's doing, I trust that, and just really has been a driving force of City Church. And so I just want you to know that this church would not exist if it weren't for Ben Hare. He, he, he just made things happen that we couldn't uh, make things happen. And he had trust and faith in what God had called us to. And so he's just such a huge, I have so much respect for him. And um, what I'd love for us to do as a church, would you just stand up today and just put your hands together. And let's just give him a round of applause as he comes to the stage. It's going to be amazing. Be blessed. Thank you, you're kind, and uh, I hope I can live up to what he said. Uh, I re uh, Neil may have been a little superlative in his uh, credit. Uh, the, the truth is that the Holy Spirit and the hard work of a lot of dedicated people made this church happen, and I just happened to be on the sidelines encouraging what I already saw God doing. Um, but we are grateful. Thanks for the chance to be here today. Uh, in January of this year, my wife Tina and I transitioned out of being the senior leaders of the Vineyard Church in Peoria, Illinois, uh, that we had served in since planting it 11 years ago. And we're now in a season of mentoring and encouraging others. My wife still works at Caterpillar. Thank goodness some, one of us is making money still. But I'm also the vineyard area leader over the Quad Cities, and what that means simply is that spend time working with pastors and leaders and encouraging them, problem solving, resourcing and equipping them the best that we can. And, but it means I've known Neil and Amy for the last decade or so. I've enjoyed watching them grow and step into the destiny that God has on their lives and this church family, uh, both as leaders here and in your community and in our national movement, the Vineyard USA. And I believe that their gifts and their experience and their voices, as well as this church, will help shape and form and inform our churches and our movement in the years and decades to come. And whether you know it or not, which I suspect you already do, they are among the finest young leaders in our movement. And so it's a privilege to... Uh, be here today and to sit uh, in the fruit of their ministry. I love what's happening here in, in the City Church. My wife, Tina, and I have been married for 45 years. We have four adult children. Uh, this is a picture of our gang when we were in uh, Colorado uh, for um, some event earlier this year. You know, when you're my age, the hard drive doesn't spin as fast as it used to, and I forget why we were there. Uh, but anyway, two of our couples... Uh, two of the couples live in Denver, one in Fort Collins and one in Madison. Now, I understand that Neil likes to begin Sunday mornings with a little humor. Is that right? So one Palm Sunday, 
young Grant was sick and he stayed home from church. And when his brothers and sisters came home carrying palm branches, uh, Grant asked where the palms came from. His dad immediately replied, well, Grant, when Jesus walked by, uh, people held palm branches over his head. And little Grant says, just my luck. The one time I don't go to church and Jesus shows up. <laughs> now, you know why, uh, don't you, that, that the son doesn't drink your free coffee? Well, it'd keep him up at night. <laughs> I, was, I was really confused when my printer started playing music until I realized, oh, it, it was just jamming. <laughs> Speaking of music, uh, I must confess that I've never been a fan of elevator music. It's just bad on so many levels. Nearly every list of the top 10 most influential people of all time includes the Apostle Paul. He was a brilliant leader and theologian. He wrote 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. And certainly his book of Romans, perhaps more than any other book, has determined the course of Christian belief and practice for the last 2,000 years. And so it, it is a good thing for God's people to read and reflect upon what the book of Romans has to say to us as Christ followers today, like you've been doing for the last month or so on Sunday mornings. But I'd like to begin my talk uh, with just a, a story. When I was growing up on Evergreen Circle in Peoria, Illinois, there was a large open field of several acres behind our house. We played football there. We had a, a baseball diamond with a chicken wire backstop. The edges were surrounded by large pine trees and one very old, massive silver maple tree. We called it the office tree because we used to climb that tree. And each of the neighborhood kids, my cousins Jeff and Jack and the two Dooley brothers, uh, we claimed a certain intersection of branches as our office. Well, about 30 years ago now, after all the kids were grown and out of the neighborhood, my uncle John and Aunt Dorothy decided to build a new house in that field. And one of the very first things they did was hire Dirtle Tree Service to come and cut the office tree down. To look at the tree, you wouldn't have known there was anything wrong, but after it was cut down, you could actually see the problem. The trunk was several feet across, uh, and the outer three to four inches were solid, good wood, but there was nothing inside. It, that soft maple suffered what uh, horticulturalists call dry rot. It's an actual condition caused by a fungus that uh, decays the tree's inner supportive and structural components. The heart of the tree was rotten. And what looked to the outward observer as a normal, healthy, fully functioning silver maple was actually a serious accident just waiting for the next strong windstorm. The Apostle Paul begins Romans, the first three chapters of his letter, that the tree in question is the entire human race and it's rotten to the core. Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles alike have corrupt minds, have corrupt hearts, and everyone stands universally condemned before God's impartial judgment. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that people are incapable of doing good or benevolent things. 
We see it all around us, all over the world. But Paul makes it specifically clear that no one can stand before God and appeal to their good works as a reason to be accepted by him. And his argument climaxes in chapter 3, verses 8, uh, or 9 to 10 and 23, where we read, All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, we know, don't we, that not many people receive the unvarnished truth of Romans 3 very well. Uh, not many people do. In fact, I would suggest that, that most of us grossly overestimate our goodness in the eyes of God. We think we're much better than we are, and we minimize our sin and our habits and our attitudes and selfishness. And then we put on a pedestal our good works in hopes that people and Jesus think well of us. Secretly, we hope that, you know, if we do just good enough, then we'll tip the scales of justice so that the good outweighs the bad, and we will get preached into heaven when we die. But friends, the thrust of Paul's first three chapters in Romans, as we've seen, is simple and compelling and clear. We can't do anything to make ourselves acceptable to God and to meet his glorious standard. Not by joining a church, this one or any other one, by getting religious, by cleaning up our language, by trying to be good, by turning over a new leaf, by making a New Year's resolution, by becoming generous. None of these things, as good as they might be in themselves, can change our inner spiritual condition, forgive our sin, and make us new. Now, many books, movies, stories often turn at the very last minute with a dramatic intervention or twist, don't they? Someone arrives at the trial or the wedding, a messenger sends a note, a, a bit of new evidence or history is discovered at the trial, or the antagonist is double-crossed. Perhaps you've read Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn or The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Uh, and, I was, uh, and like me, I was stunned, uh, like maybe you were as well. Well, the Apostle Paul makes this kind of twist in Romans Three at the end of the chapter, where he launches a brand new section that's actually going to run from now until uh, the end of chapter 8, where we learn that the gospel of God's grace changes everything. This is the plot twist. Let's read it together. Romans 3, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, this really dense paragraph is the plot twist, and it's full of beautiful 
and powerful and liberating news for all people everywhere who are rotten to the core. I'll try to simplify and summarize the thrust of Paul's argument, his train of thought here. Every person has sinned and fallen out of relationship and favor with God, and we stand condemned in his impartial judgment to a life of separation from him. No one can make themselves acceptable to God by obeying a religious law or any other set of moral or ethical standards. In fulfillment to the promises God made in the Old Testament, he sent his son Jesus as the perfect sinless sacrifice for sin. Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, rose again from the dead on the third day. God, in his grace, freely made us right in his sight when we believe this good news. This beautiful and powerful and liberating news is all made possible, as we saw in verse 24, because of God's grace. Now that word appears 22 times in the book of Romans and over 148 times in the balance of the New Testament. Many of us might think of grace. We think of the song Amazing Grace. We kind of have an idea of what it is. I like to think of it quite simply as God's goodness to every person, period. That's what grace is, his goodness to every person. A helpful shorthand for understanding God's grace is mercy, not merit. Mercy, not merit. Grace is the opposite of karma, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. Mercy, not merit. God in his grace. That's the plot twist. God's goodness to every person who's ever lived in every culture, in every age, Jew and Gentile alike. Grace makes it possible to be made right with God when we believe the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for all people everywhere. No good works or self-effort required. We can stop striving and fretting and being worried and anxious and dealing, living with regret and failure, even as we sang already today. God, our loving Father, has his arms open wide to welcome us and completely and freely accept us in Jesus. God's grace through Jesus is the most powerful force in all the universe. It changes everything. God's grace through Jesus accepts and forgives and heals and restores and encourages and says, yes, you can. It answers prayers. No circumstance is too difficult. No sin is too great. No relationship is too broken. No past is too messy. No bondage too unrelenting. No shame is too strong. No regret too large, no pain too deep, no person too far beyond the reach of God's grace through Jesus. Might be somebody here today or somebody watching online that has said, God, I, I just really need to hear from you today. Well, God is speaking to you through the powerful plot twist of Romans chapter 3 to come to him. Come just as you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how close or far from God you feel, no matter how hopeless or discouraged you might be, no matter how messy or complicated your life situation is, come to God through Jesus. 
and he will make everything new. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. This is the surprising news in the book of Romans. Then in chapter 4, Paul goes on to explain how Gentiles, those are non-Jews, when they believe, they become an equal part with the Jews of God's promise for the whole world, to bless all the world through Abraham. And in chapter 4, the Holy Spirit is making sure that the reader understands that every, gener- every church and every generation has to have their doors open wide enough to let in people of every race, every eth- ethnic group, every type of family constellation, every geographical culture, every religious or irreligious moral or immoral background. Everyone is included. There's a seat at the table for everyone. The only defining characteristic of membership in God's newly constituted people called the church is faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. Then Paul illustrates in chapter 5 how God's grace actually begins to change and shape us. Well, we read Romans 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, in other words, because of everything else that I've already said, now, listen closely. That's what the word therefore often means. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus, has, uh, our Lord, has done for us. Through faith in Jesus, we've received God's grace. In that grace, we now live, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, friends, before we knew God through Christ, we were his enemy, whether we realized it or were aware of it or not. There was a deep chasm of separation between us and God. Paul framed it this way in his letter to the church at Coloss. You were once far away from God, You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And we know, don't we, really, that when the shades are pulled, the lights are dim, and if we're really being gut-level honest, we have to admit to being self-centered, sinful people whose lives are marked by evil thoughts and actions and self-centeredness. And what it results in is guilt and shame, a measure of bondage and even rebellion against the living God. But the text in Romans 5 informs us that by faith we've received God's grace, his goodness to all people. And anyone who believes in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is made right with God at that very moment, and we receive peace with God. Grace brings a loving, uh, personal, intimate relationship with the living God. We cross the chasm, as it were. All that separation between us and God is gone, and we are no longer an enemy of God. We, We are his friend, his son or his daughter, adopted into his new family. And so this means that followers of Christ have a new identity as his sons, as his daughters. We are forgiven and made right. We no longer have to live in fear, wondering if we're displeasing to God or if he's mad at us. uh, uh, We we no longer have to worry that he's standing at the top of the celestial staircase with neck veins bulging and face red, shouting down, stop having so much fun down there! We, We can just relax because we are now at peace with the living God. 
We don't have to strive to gain his approval or, or fear his retribution or his judgment. We can live in peace. The text said we can be confident and settled and joyful. Grace brings peace with God and sets us free from worry and fear, uncertainty, anxiety. As we sang today, regrets and failures. We can live confidently and joyfully. Let me tell you how it, my story has unfolded. I was raised by very devout, uh, authentic Christian parents. My father was a lay pastor. They had a genuine faith in the living God. But the church of which I was a part taught that God was mad at me because of my sin and debauchery as a teenager. Well, I left home, went to the University of Illinois in 1974, as a freshman, I began to experience what I would later learn was an awareness of my sin and selfishness. It's called conviction. I was caught between trying to get an education on one hand and maintaining a sinful social life on the other. And I was also influenced by my Christian roommate named Bob. Uh, I didn't care for much for Bob's taste in music at all, but I couldn't argue that he was uh, certainly at peace with God and the world. So after dealing with this for several months, it was on the night of October 29th, 1974, 10.30 p.m., long after Bob had fallen asleep, room 413, Babcock Hall, Pennsylvania Avenue Residence Halls, uh, on the campus at U of I, I, slipped out of my dorm room bed, and I knelt down to pray, sincerely for one of the very first times in my life. And the prayer, as I recall, went something like this, God, if you're real, Please come into my life. And while I didn't fully understand what was happening at the moment, it was at that very instant that I felt the weight of a thousand tons lift off of my life. I would later learn from the Bible that I experienced the birth from above. Jesus forgave my sin and made me new and gave me peace with God. Many of you have experienced that very same powerful, and life-changing experience. And if you haven't, you can today by surrendering your life fully and completely, as best as you know how, to Jesus Christ. Now, all of us who identify as followers of Jesus, having entered his kingdom, having received peace with God because of God's grace through Christ, we know that not everything changes, does it? No, we still have difficult circumstances and challenging people, and that's because we still live in a world cursed by sin. And that fact isn't going to change until the kingdom of God comes in fullness uh, when Jesus returns at the end of this present evil age. That's when the old order of things passes away. Casey shared with us about this just last week. Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He'll destroy the power of death, and he'll purge the earth of the suffering and pain as he finally sets it free. But you don't need to be a theologian or a Bible scholar. You don't even need a degree. You don't even need to scroll social media to know that right now God's world is messed up. It's marred by sin. It's under the power and control of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. 
and will remain that way until Jesus comes back. All we have to do is simply get up in the morning and get on with our everyday, ordinary, going to, to work or school or retired life to know that the world is filled with a lack of peace everywhere. And it's in that condition that Jesus promises to give us as his children not just peace with God, but the very peace of God, a radically settled heart, regardless of our circumstances. You see, here's what Jesus promised us as his children. John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. And that's an awesome promise, isn't it? Through all of life's ups and downs, twists and turns, we can have the peace of God. Jesus gives it to us as a gift, a heart that is radically settled in him. It's not anxious or afraid, worried or fearful, but content and at rest as if we are in the eye of the hurricane. Jesus said his gift of peace wasn't like the peace the world gives. You might ask, well, what kind of peace does the world give? Well, it's fairly intuitive and obvious. Peace that's only defined by the absence of problems and difficulties, isn't it? That's the way the world defines peace. It's kind that's negotiated with contracts and treaties between feuding parties. But Jesus said, in contrast, his gift isn't like that at all. It's a radically settled heart in the middle of difficult circumstances and challenging people. It's a life that's not moved by fear and uncertainty or anxiety and worry, regret or failure. It's a life of confidence that Jesus will do for us uh, what we're asking at the, right, at the right thing at the right time in the right way as we trust him to fulfill his promises promises that Paul goes on to share with us in, in Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done, and then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ. And so Jesus is inviting us to welcome his kingdom into our lives as we trust him for peace and settledness, awaiting the arrival of his kingdom in the right ways at the right time in the right manner. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is going to invite some of us to trust him for an increased measure of peace in our lives, peace of mind and heart today. It might be on issues that are global, some large issue Injustice, famine, water crisis, child slavery, climate change, displaced refugees, poverty, you name it. Maybe you, you have a deep concern in one of these areas, but you feel so powerless, and it consequently gives you some measure of anxiety. Maybe the issue is more local in scope. It's an issue or a struggle along political or racial or religious or, or cultural lines. We all know we have friends and even family and colleagues who see and do life so differently than we do, right? They, they choose to live by a different set of values, and you might feel anxious or worried or even a little angry to be around those people. Maybe the issue is more personal, 
at a different level, sickness or an aging or divorce or betrayal or a fear of your, your family's future or finances, fear of getting older or death and dying of a child getting kidnapped or contracting a, a, a serious illness or having an automobile accident or getting robbed or losing a physical ability. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's going to invite you along the line of something that's more of an inner angst, a hurt, a hang-up, a loss, maybe a, a loss of a dream or a business or a relationship or the death of a loved one. Maybe it's uh, a, an issue of having been abandoned or betrayed or grew up in a dysfunctional environment or the subject of abuse or, or violence. Could be a chemical or alcohol or food addiction um, Perhaps the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about an inner angst. But in any of these issues, global or local or personal or inner, what we might be uh, waiting for this week is, is hearing the Holy Spirit's invitation for us to trust him in a greater measure and receive the gift of peace. He might be asking us to declare over our inner hurts our nagging habits, our global, local, personal issues, that Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, and your peace will guard my heart and mind as I trust in you. Lord, this week, would you help us hear your voice where you're inviting each one of us to listen to you and trust you more fully. Where are you, Lord, asking us to surrender our fear and worry and anxiety, the things that keep us from being at rest and trust you to bring your peace, to surround and fill us with a quiet confidence and to be able to uh, be joyful in the midst of, what, of where we're at. Speak to each one here today, Lord, we pray. I think the Holy Spirit's already been talking to a number of us today. We have a pocket of anxiety or worry or regret or shame, uh, failure. Uh, even though we've been made new in Jesus, that stuff is still there and it, it weighs us down and creates anxiety. And you're sensing the Holy Spirit's invitation to more fully experience the peace that he promised you. I, I just want to bless that. It's uncomfortable when we first sense it, but the Holy Spirit isn't doing it to upbraid you, to call you out, to slap you across the face and point you out and bring shame. The reason he gives us an invitation is, is so that we might step into it and more fully experience the gift that he has waiting for us. So I bless that. I bless that right now in you, wherever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking and inviting. God, we pray that your measure of ministry and healing would grow larger. The voices of the enemy, his threats, his remembrances, his accusations would diminish, and your voice as the Prince of Peace would rise, Lord. That anxiety and worry and fear would diminish, and that confidence in you providing the right thing at the right time in the right way would increase. I bless the, your people with patience 
to wait for you. Waiting from a place of victory and not a place of defeat. May we see your promises fulfilled as we've sung. May we see your faithfulness in our lives. I bless those, Lord. I bless the, uh, each one of us here today to say yes to you this week where you're going to invite us more specifically to trust you. I bless that. I pray for the release of the gift of faith, Lord, to trust you in the middle of those circumstances. I bless your people with faith. Lord, that not only would you bring awareness, but that you'd bring grace to cooperate with us, that we'd experience your goodness this week as we say yes to you. In your name. Now, in particular, I feel like there might be some people here today who you'd say, Ben, I've done all of that, and I still can't shake this nagging fear or worry or anxiety. And, and that, that's what it means to be human. It doesn't all disappear right away. But I, I think if that's, if, if that's you, what I'd like to do is invite you as we close to come up and just talk to one of the members of our prayer team people that have been trained to pray with confidentiality and sensitivity, uh, that, that they would join with the Holy Spirit in, in what he's already doing in you and agree with you that the power of that thing be broken. Uh, you might Im imagine it as, the, as an axe of God's grace cutting off the root of that thing so that wherever its tentacles are in your life, they shrivel up, dry up, and they lose their power. And you could, you could come up and receive prayer of agreement with someone here as, we, as the song winds down and as we uh, dismiss our services, okay?